Hi, welcome to Supply Chain Radio. This is Leland Suhas here to talk to you today about sustainability. Hey, Suhas. Hi, Lila. So Earth Day is coming up on April 22nd. It is. And interestingly enough, the Paris Agreement, which is supposed to be this landmark agreement between many different countries to take action about climate change, opens up for signatures on that day symbolically. So they have like about 120 different countries are expected to sign this thing. That's so cool. Is that a result of the meetings in December? Yep. And so the idea is that all these countries would voluntarily contribute to reducing CO2 emissions and having larger sustainability efforts. One of the interesting things in the agreement was actually the idea that they would all try to enable financial flows to support sustainability efforts, which I thought was pretty cool, sort of emphasizing the role that the economy can play in promoting sustainability. So yeah, that's an exciting thing that's coming up. Is that just in fashion and apparel, or are you seeing that in other industries as well? I think there is a general push for sustainability everywhere, including manufacturing. I think that how companies are going about it is sort of interesting, too. There's sustainability consultants now that exist, just like management consultants, that kind of thing, where these guys come into a business and evaluate the business for how sustainable they are in terms of environment and you know, social responsibility and help businesses come up with strategies to become more sustainable. So that's something that you're actually seeing as a growing trend in a lot of different areas of business. Yeah, I've actually heard about that. And they justify their own payment costs by saying they're going to save a company X amount of money by converting them onto a more sustainable system, whether that's through like their lighting or energy waste or temperature or whatever within the building, right? Right. And so what's interesting about that is that I think a lot of businesses now are actively seeking those kinds of consulting services and they're genuinely trying to make efforts to change their business strategies to meet them. And I think that's probably the result of consumer demand, right? You've probably seen that in fashion apparel. Definitely. And you know, I've done my own studies on consumer demand, trying to understand how important that is to consumers. And you're seeing greater and greater, especially in the European space, how much people care about Providence and where France was the leading country in that. But in the U.S., it's popular as well. I know it's funny that you pointed to consumer demand because while I think that's a big part of it, I also wonder how much of it is companies responding to that. And obviously, there are companies that their DNA revolves around that, right? So when I think about Patagonia and their wear-worn wagon, where they literally will go around and fix garments that have any problems with them that were from Patagonia itself, and they'll fix it for free because they don't want you to keep wasting and buying more clothes when it's not necessary. That's a big part of what they do as a company. But then I think about other companies who are becoming more responsive and just more aware of sustainability. And I think a lot of that is regulations driven. Regulations are somewhat tricky because one of the things that's happened as the world has become more globalized is that the regulations across different countries are still very fragmented and local, right? So let's say that you have a company that's doing business in the US and in China and in Vietnam and in India it's kind of on the business to decide how it wants to run its operations because the laws that might exist in India and Vietnam and the United States might have different things to say about sustainability, right? So there's no common threshold for any of that. I think as we go forward with maybe things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and other just trade agreements and regulations, you might see a little bit more of a evening and leveling of those kinds of common terms. But right now, I think there's just been this 
the sort of situation where companies have to figure it out on their own. And that's why they're bringing in different people like consultants. But I think it's sort of interesting what you said with the consumer demand for sustainability in companies like Patagonia, because I think a lot of that is also driven by, you know, the Rana Plaza factory collapse that happened three years ago, right, in Bangladesh. And I think hand in hand with Earth Day is also Fashion Revolution Week. Have you noticed, you know, early hype around Fashion Revolution Week or anything like that? You know, I haven't seen too much publicized around that this year. And I think typically what people do is they wait until closer to the time to get a larger momentum around something. Because, as you know, there are very few things where you can talk about weeks and weeks ahead, say outside of Christmas holiday shopping, where you can kind of sustain that energy. Ooh, cool pen on words. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But, you know, sustainability is one of those things that's never the primary focus of what a business does. It's almost like a nice byproduct, if you will. And I was just kind of reminded when you were talking about how different countries have different regulations and it's really up to the company to decide, you know, that part gets kind of tricky as well because that makes those decisions subjective. And it's really hard to come to like a standardized approach to how end-tier partners are operating. So you may know the direct factories that are supplying to you, but they're secondary and and tertiary and end-tier factories that are supplying different parts and pieces to those other manufacturing facilities, and then kind of taking on the responsibility of making sure those conditions and kind of the energy and sustainability part of that is compliant gets really tricky. That reminds me of this really cool retailer called Zadie that talks about the slow fashion movement. And that's also, to your point, kind of the genesis that people think about was the Rana Plaza factory collapse where 1,100 people were killed. But really, slow fashion's been around for a long time as a concept. But the presence of that unfortunate incident actually really drove the slow fashion movement and really kind of brought attention to when you're not in this race to make things so quickly and respond to demand at a point where you're sacrificing people's lives you're able to have a lot more prudence around all of the end-tier partners as well. It's interesting that you bring up the end-tier because that's, I think, a huge problem overall in terms of these large global supply chains. You have manufacturing now that occurs in such like disparate ways, and finally you're getting parts from all these different places where the company that's branding that product might not even know who supplied one component of it, right? So that could be made unsustainably, yet another part could be made sustainably, and then the assembly could be made sustainably or unsustainably. And it's kind of like, unless you make the whole thing end-to-end sustainable, you're not really achieving the desired benefit. At the same time, getting visibility to be able to do that is critical, but then also just beginning that transformation effort in any part that you can is probably also important. So the flip side is if a company says, yeah, I don't know who my end-tier supplier is, so I'm not going to start any sustainability effort, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I think they need to start where they can see what's going on and then expand it as they get better visibility into their entire supply chain. Yeah, so I totally agree with you. I mean, some steps are certainly better than no steps at all. Having said that, I mean, technology is kind of skyrocketed how much companies are able to do. So I feel like before it was almost acceptable, if not tolerated, that a company could kind of close its eyes and say, oh, I didn't know I wasn't involved. But now I think there's almost a philosophical argument that if you do have the capabilities, if they exist, technology does exist that can connect all end-tier trading partners, so you really can be accountable, then is it on the company 
for not doing that and not investing in that to make sure that they are conducting themselves responsibly. I think that's a good point. I think it's sort of a moral argument where if you can do this thing, then should you be doing it? Is the onus on you to do it? And I think that if a company is serious about sustainability, then that has to be the long-term goal to use that technology to be able to have an end-to-end sustainable supply chain. And isn't that the whole point of cloud technology to begin with, to collaborate and let all parties know what they're doing and what's kind of occurring and have that visibility? One of the things that for a long time was the pervasive view was the sustainability was a cost, right? You have to do this extra thing Mm -hmm. that you weren't doing before. But actually through technology, you're kind of seeing the opposite, where if people invest in sustainability, a lot of those efficiencies actually just scale to cost reduction too. Because if you think about it, energy consumption and CO2 emissions are directly tied to like inefficient processes, right? So if you can tighten up reduce the amount of transportation, reduce the mileage that you need to send a product, then you're being sustainable and you're reducing costs at the same time. So I think that now you're beginning to see that these two things, sustainability and efficiency, are not opposites. They can actually be complementary. That's an amazing point. So you can save costs that way in terms of creating more efficient ways of transporting material, etc. So that's a very physical manifestation of cost savings. What are some other ways that people can do that in their financial supply chain? Because we don't really talk about that too much. This is sort of what I was excited about and alluding to earlier with the Paris Agreement, focusing on potentially encouraging financial development. One of the cool things that you're seeing now that's enabled through technology is financial institutions can come into the supply chain process and be able to fund suppliers let's say, you know, in a country like Bangladesh, to have money up front to create a sort of a safe factory to be able to have the materials that they need to start production, to be able to pay their workers and to be able to have a green factory because the factory is connected and the buyer is connected and the bank and the financial institution is connected. It's very clear at what stage the production process is. And so a financing company can come in and give some money for the initial production to start, give some more money when a certain percentage is completed, give some more money when the goods are packaged and shipped, take over inventory when it's in transit so that the money is not on the books of the supplier or the buyer yet and frees up working capital for both of them. And in the process of doing that and alleviating that burden from both the buyer and the supplier, the supplier is able to use that money to make sure that they have decent working conditions and make sure that their factory is green and not releasing a lot of CO2 and shoring up the infrastructure. So sustainability does take money, but having financing that kind of encourages sustainability is a really great way to be able to sort of guarantee that and make sure that it's easier to be sustainable. Yeah, I think that's a really great point when you're talking about the factories. You know, I was thinking about like from a fashion apparel retailer, CPG company standpoint, people are so concerned with what things look like in a showroom or in store or on an e-commerce website. But you see little attention being paid to all of the benefits and cost savings that come at the factory level. And that's why I can really appreciate something like the NRDC's initiative of Clean by Design. So that's actually a 10 best practice list. So very actionable that can be given to factories. And it's quick things that they can do 
so that they limit their wastage and obviously by virtue of that save money. And in the pilot tests that they've done, they've actually saved an average of 36% on energy costs and 22% in wastewater. Wow. It's really cool and this old adage that you can tell what the color is going to be for next season based on the color of the rivers in China. It's really sad. So hopefully that is not going to carry weight anymore. I think along those lines, you also have financing that solves some of those issues that you mentioned, because you take something like the International Finance Corporation, the IFC, it has partnered with companies like Levi's to finance sustainability directly. So Levi's has this kind of terms of engagement where it has its own set of standards that it wants to hold all of its suppliers to. And the IFC comes in and says, okay, this factory is meeting you know X, Y, and Z standards, so we're gonna give them better rates because they're meeting these standards. And so the more that those factories conform to those terms of engagement and check off some of those boxes and requirements, the better the financing rates are for them. So it's sort of like giving a carrot, right, instead of a stick to encourage sustainability. And uh, that probably also results in the kinds of efficiencies you're talking about. So it's interesting because when I think about companies and always, always their top three initiatives include in addition to increasing revenues and profit margins is obviously decreasing costs. And it's amazing to me that so much money can be saved by just upgrading their infrastructure to be energy compliant and sustainable and promote good factory conditions as well as just increase efficiency through supply chain. And yet so many companies aren't realizing all of those cost saving benefits. So I really hope that they're able to kind of look into this based on some, you know, readings and articles based on what we've talked about today. Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway. I mean, the reality of the situation with sustainability is that there aren't standards universally across the globe yet, even though businesses are operating globally. And so to a certain extent, it is on businesses to do so, to create sustainability efforts on their own. I think there's good resources that are available, including sustainability consultants. But I also think that there's a huge amount to be gained from using technology that exists to you know, simultaneously become more efficient and more sustainable. And I think there's a lot of businesses that can tap into that right now. Totally agree. Well, this was a great conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Suhas. Thank you, Leela. This is Leela and Suhas signing off for Supply Chain Radio. Mm-hmm.